From the KTOO Newsroom in Juneau, I'm Yvonne Cormery. Good afternoon. On Monday, residents of Bethel began noticing an unusual amount of what appeared to be oil washing up along the seawall. It turned out that a retired vessel owned by the fuel distribution company Vitus Energy had become partially submerged, emitting a large sheen onto the Kuskokwim River. KYUK's Evan Erickson has more. On Monday morning, a pilot flying over the Kuskokwim River shared an image with members of Bethel Search and Rescue. It showed a large sheen hundreds of feet long, what appeared to be spilled oil or fuel coating the lower end of Steamboat Slough just upriver from Bethel. By the afternoon, the sheen had made its way from the slough into the main stem of the Kuskokwim River. Its source was the Francis Snow, a recently retired assist vessel owned by fuel distribution company Vitus Energy. It had been tied up in Steamboat Slough since at least September, according to Bethel Search and Rescue. Shortly after the discovery of the spill, Bethel Search and Rescue member Earl Samuelson, who was about seven miles downriver in Neposkiak, heard that ice and poor visibility were blocking fellow volunteers in Bethel from heading out to investigate. They were concerned of uh, like oil in the air, in the water, noticeable at the seawall, and, and uh, they were unable to respond out of Bethel. While Samuelson and his son were ultimately turned back in their attempt to navigate the ice-choked river near Neposkiak, something else caught their attention. Yeah, what we did notice also in the, was the smell of uh, diesel fuel in the air right there. I say diesel because gas has a different smell. Uh, you can really tell the difference between gas and diesel fuel. Whether Samuelson was smelling fuel that had made its way miles downriver from Steamboat Slough is still unknown. It wasn't until Tuesday morning that Vitus was able to send one of its tugboats, the China, to assess what had gone wrong on the Francis Snow. According to Bernie Nowicki, Western Region On-Scene Coordinator for the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation, Vitus crews found the stern of the approximately 60-foot vessel roughly one-third submerged and the engine room flooded. They placed absorbent booms around the vessel to contain any additional release of contaminants into the slough, they also began the process of trying to right the Francis Snow. Vitus Energy went on to state that there is a pocket of diesel fuel within the vessel. Size has not been determined at this time. Estimate of the fuel on board the vessel was, is 250 to 300 gallons. At the time, the vessel was moored. Barbara Anvil, who owns a property just a couple hundred feet from the site of the spill, said she was shocked that fuel had been left on board the unoccupied vessel. Why wasn't it taken out of there? You know, they had all summer to do it. It is still unclear how much, if any, of that fuel may have spilled into the Kuskokwim River. In a phone call Tuesday afternoon, Vitus CEO Mark Smith said that crews were no longer seeing a sheen trailing from the Francis Snow. Smith said the vessel was in the process of being dewatered and prepped for transit and haul-out in Bethel. Smith declined to speculate about how the vessel may have ended up partially submerged. Anvil said that she had noticed something was wrong with the Francis Snow back in July. I noticed that this summer when I was up there that that, that Francis Snow was tilting. It was, I knew it was something was happening with it, you know. For years, Anvil said she has been trying to bring more attention to the need to clean up the dozens of barges in and around Steamboat Slough, a tug-of-war that has been playing out between state and federal agencies. Unfortunately, that attention could end up coming in response to, rather than in anticipation of, cases like the Francis Snow. As of Tuesday, neither Vitus Energy nor state and federal agencies had released public statements regarding the spill and its potential environmental impacts. In Bethel, I'm Evan Erickson.
During its annual convention this year, the Alaska Federation of Natives broke from its normal format to include a lengthy knowledge-sharing session. Think of it as a community conversation. Many speakers called on younger generations to get involved in these difficult conversations. And as KYUK's Emily Schwing reports, young people who were there listened. For nearly four hours, delegates representing Alaska's 12 regions stepped up to a microphone to speak on their priorities and voice deep concerns about food security and what it means for cultural identity. For decades, Roy Ashenfelter served on at least half a dozen different regional and local wildlife committees in an effort to preserve the Alaska Native subsistence lifestyle for the Bering Straits region. And he says it's time for some new voices. I would try to ask that young people step to the uh, step to the floor and join those different committees because I don't believe they're going away. We still need voices to, to deal with the game issues. We still need voices to deal with the fishery issues that are currently in play. Jonathan Samuelson is in his 30s and he's following Ashenfelter's lead. As the chair of the Kuskokwim River Intertribal Fish Commission, he's at those meetings too. You will know our Naka as salmon. We are the stewards of the spawning grounds of fish that feed the world. Yet for far too long, we have been the last to eat. Samuelson's organization represents 33 tribes that aim to co-manage salmon in the Kuskokwim River. He says that's becoming increasingly difficult. There are children on the Yukon who have never seen a fish, who have never touched a sukcho. We are adaptive people, but what fails to be adaptive is policy. It has stayed stagnant, and out of that necessity, the tribes of the Kuskokwim River have held the feet to the fire. Some of the kids who live on the Yukon-Kuskokwim River Delta were sitting in the audience, and they know these fisheries issues well. Sometimes it could be a really struggle when the fishing season closes. Nathan Fisher is 18. He's from Hooper Bay. I want to see that. You could go fishing any day. Fisher was among dozens of students who listened intently during the knowledge-sharing session. So did Isaiah Stewart from Bethel. He's 16. I heard uh, people advocating for, well, they were saying they don't like the word subsistence, and they were advocating for their way of life. Is it your way of life, too? Yeah. Yeah. Did it uh, motivate you to, you know, get involved, take some action? I, I wanted to go up and speak, yes. yes. If, if you had the opportunity to go up and speak, what would you have said? I would have said um, a lot of the same things. I would have said that Alaskans are um, some of the strongest people in the world. And uh, I believe that our story is very important. Audrey Cleveland is also 16. She's from Quinnahawk, and she could relate to what she heard, but she also says there was something missing. I heard a lot about the salmon and tearing, but what I did not hear was like mentioning a permafrost melting, and there's a lot of communities with um, that are dealing with the permafrost melting situation, and Currently in our village, we are trying to find solutions to keep our buildings up and right. Does this motivate you to get involved in in helping your community? Because if this is for future generations and us to come and after us, um, we have to do something now so that they can live on and so that they won't have the problems as much. 
Okay, tell me why you wanted to talk with me. Well, some voices aren't heard as much and take every opportunity you have because every voice matters. Every voice matters. That idea has come up over and over again at AFN. At previous conventions, delegates have criticized the organization for not allowing enough time to acknowledge everyone who has something to say. So this year, the organization added these knowledge-sharing sessions to make space for more voices. And while many of the younger people who attended didn't step up to the microphone, they were still part of the conversation. In Anchorage, I'm Emily Schwing. When the state of Alaska transferred dozens of public guardianship cases to a nonprofit last year, the results included extended hospital stays, thousands of dollars in debt, and lapses in public benefits for some of Alaska's most vulnerable residents. That's according to a recent story in the Anchorage Daily News. ADN reporter Ira Samuels says the State Office of Public Advocacy has been swamped with guardianship cases in recent years. They basically have so many cases that they can't really handle them the way they should be handled. So that's why they say that they transferred or requested that the court transfer some of the cases that they were handling to this new private agency. That agency was Wasilla-based nonprofit Cash Integrity Services, headed by Tom McDuffie. The private nonprofit handled more than 110 guardianship cases at its peak, many of which were transferred to them by the state. Samuels interviewed McDuffie, who told her that he wasn't able to handle the caseload. Samuels says an Anchorage Superior Court judge found that the state violated the law by not providing legal aid to clients who were transferred to cash integrity services. The nonprofit was also sued for not submitting timely applications for benefits. Meanwhile, the state Office of Public Advocacy continues to struggle with high rates of job turnover among its public guardians with an average caseload ranging from 80 to 105 per caseworker. This is KTOO.